TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dukey-Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. And away we go on this Friday afternoon, the 26th of February. The year is 2021. Hello, Scoop Podcast faithful. This is episode 336. I begin with Gophers basketball. I'm told Richard Patino and AD Mark Coyle had a meeting this morning. I'm still working on the tone of said meeting. I can tell you that I'm told that Patino gave a very interesting pre-practice speech to his team earlier today before they departed for Lincoln. Gophers at Nebraska tomorrow night. Patino, put it this way, Patino is very aware of the fire chatter. I can only react in the moment. Two weeks ago, I did not think there was a realistic chance that Patino could be out. After the last two games, effort was an issue in the loss Saturday to Illinois. Then last night, that debacle against Northwestern, a team that came in with a 13-game losing streak. Yes, fair to mention, no Liam Robbins, no Gabe Kausher, but that's on Patino, right? Only nine scholarship players available. That is on the head coach. You still can't lose at home to Northwestern or on the road. So the way they've played the last two games, I can only imagine what Coyle was thinking at the bar and sitting there last night watching that debacle unfold. With no pandemic, I think it would be a foregone conclusion. Like it would be stating the obvious. Patino would be fired. But can Coyle find $1.75 million to buy out Patino? That is the question. Is there the potential of a soft landing spot. Would Boston College have some interest in Patino? Could there be a mutual parting of ways where the U doesn't request the buyout money? If Patino has another job lined up, just let him go. Don't request that that university cuts the $1.75 million check. That would be an interesting scenario to keep an eye on. But the numbers speak for themselves. 54 and 93 in Big Ten games. Seven of eight non-winning seasons in the Big Ten. Six and 36 in the last 42 conference road games. 14 conference road wins in eight years. Maybe he gets number 15 tomorrow in Lincoln. The bar was low before he came. You know, post-1997, you know, everything that took place with the Final Four team. You think about Munson, you think about Tubby. The bar has been low with Gophers men's basketball for a long time. Unfortunately for Richard, because I like him personally, good guy, like a guy you'd want to sit down and have a beer with. But the issue is, as low as the bar has been, Patino has not even touched the bar. So the bar's low, and he's below the bar that has been set going back a long time. Plus, he now has the Taj Mahal practice facility, something Tubby did not have or Munson did not have. This is another damning statistic. Since 2018, Patino's teams have a winning percentage that is below 28% in regular season games after the calendar turns to February and March. So the buyout is 175 up until April 30th. After that, it goes down to merely 1.5 million. If Patino is still the coach on April 30th, he gets a $400,000 bonus. Does the U really want to pay Patino? A $400,000 bonus on May 1st. 
We were told in the fall that the U could lose up to $60 million because of the pandemic. They have laid people off, including Caitlin, a sweetheart of a girl. She worked in the Gophers men's basketball office, very close to Richard Patino, close to Patino's wife, Jill. She was among a handful of employees laid off. We know that they've cut programs. You look at the optics on a potential move, like how weird would it be if the U cuts Patino a check for $1.75 million with everything going on. This isn't Auburn. I get it. Auburn was able to cut Gus Malzahn on the football side, a big fat check to go away. How weird would it be, though, after they've laid people off, after they've cut programs, to then give Patino all that money to go away? Oh, by the way, you'd have to pay off his assistant coaches. Not quite that much. But then you would have to pay somebody to come in. I mean, heck, if you want to start a list of potential candidates, it could be lengthy. Here are some names. John Beeline, Nico Medved, who's at Colorado State, Craig Smith at Utah State, Ryan Saunders, Sam Mitchell. Sam Mitchell has interest in the Gophers job, has interest. He's talked about it on the podcast before about coaching in college. Dennis Gates, head coach, Cleveland State. But there are certainly other names. I would mention Eric Musselman, but the issue with Muss, I mean, he's a no-brainer, but the issue with Muss is his buyout is $5 million. You'd have to pay $5 million to get him out of Little Rock, Arkansas, his Arkansas contract up until May 1st. You have Dutcher's kid, Jim's kid, who's the head coach at San Diego State. He has it written into his contract that there is an out for Minnesota. So whatever the buyout is, it's way less or it's nothing if he wants the Minnesota job. But really, is the Minnesota job a better job than San Diego State? Maybe the appeal of coaching in the Big Ten, but he's also in his 60s. But I guess you could put Dutcher on the list as well, the head coach at San Diego State. It is also possible, right, that that Liam's ankle gets a little bit better, that Marcus Carr reverts back to the way he was playing earlier this year, that he can carry the Gophers to a few wins here. Like, they should win at Nebraska, right? The Gophers can beat Penn State on the road. The Gophers could beat Rutgers at home. So they could finish with three consecutive wins here heading into the Big Ten tournament. Then they get down to Indianapolis. Maybe they win a game or two. It is still possible the Gophers play themselves into the NCAA tournament. Just right now as we sit here, as we react in live time, the Gophers are not an NCAA tournament team. So with them not being an NCAA tournament team, that's when the heat starts to pick up considerably on the Richard Patino front. Just put it this way. This wasn't much on my radar a couple weeks ago, and I ran it by some influential you people, people with inside knowledge, and they've all said that, that, hey, I just don't know how we would cut him a check for 175 during a pandemic. But there are people that certainly are wondering if a move needs to take place, that Mark Coyle has some ninja to him. He's got some stealth to him, right? Bob Motzko higher, Lindsey Whalen higher, P.J. Fleck higher. Maybe Mark isn't comfortable in, in public settings, but he knows how to hire head coaches. He has a list ready to go. He doesn't need a search firm. He can, he can hire a head coach on his own. It also would be an opportunity to, to bring some diversity to the athletic department staff, more diversity, if that is something that Coyle is thinking about. Put it this way, the firing of Richard Pitino is now on my radar when just a couple weeks ago it wasn't, or at least it wasn't to much degree. It is now very much squarely on my radar. Heck, that's why I just did about seven minutes on the potential laying everything out, or at least a lot on the potential of the Gophers firing Richard Pitino. By the way, sources tell me to read Patrick Royce's column this weekend in the Star Tribune about Patino.
Moving on to the Vikings. It is the calm before the storm. I am told they have not engaged on free agents Nick Easton and Kwan Short and Stephen Weatherly. They could eventually, just haven't yet. I'm told no trade talk yet with the Ravens about tackle offensive lineman Orlando Brown Jr. The anticipation is the Vikings will not wait until March 11th or March 12th to make moves. Like last year, they made moves the Friday before the start of free agency, letting go Rhodes. That's when they made their moves. It looks like this year the moves will come a bit sooner. The expectation is Kyle Rudolph, I'm not breaking news there, will be one of the moves. Riley Reef can't be back at his current number. It's ridiculously high, but I'm on record saying I see Reef back. He had a very good 2020. The Vikings are not in a position to let a good offensive lineman go. Can they work out an extension with his agent, Neil Cornrich? That will be the key. But I think we all know Reef can't be back at his current number. But there is interest in retaining Riley Reef. That I know. But how that situation will exactly play out, it's worth monitoring. I don't have all the answers on Reef, but I know he has a lot of fans internally in Egan. I feel confident saying this, that I hear that Anthony Barr is anti any sort of restructure. So he's got a big number for this upcoming year. Could they extend him? Is there a way to do that? Maybe, but I'm told he is not interested in a restructure. On a Harrison Smith extension, yeah, there will be talks on that front. Can they come to a happy medium? That remains to be seen, but Harrison Smith isn't going anywhere. But I do see the Vikings engaging Harrison Smith's representation in extension talks. On the Twins, nothing cooking on Jake Odorizzi as of a couple days ago. Yeah, there's been dialogue going back months. His side, the Twins, but no new talk. So things would have to change for Jake Odorizzi, who loves it here. He loves playing for the Twins. He loves Rocco Baldelli. He loves Wes Johnson. Jake Odorizzi, all things equal, would love to be back in a Twins uniform, but a lot would have to change for that to take place. The twin spring opener is Sunday against the Red Sox. Devin Smeltzer, Taylor Rogers, Robles, Duffy, Stashak, and Ian Hamilton will all pitch. The Alex Kirilov watch begins this weekend. He can earn his way onto the opening day roster, a spot in the opening day lineup April 1st at Milwaukee. If Alex Kirilov has an unbelievable march, he will force the twins' hand. But if they have any reason to send him down, get him at bats for three weeks in St. Paul with the AAA Saints, they will do so. We also wonder for sure if the Saints will open up on time, if minor league baseball as a whole will open up on time. So that could certainly have an influence. But if the Saints open up on time and the Twins have a reason to send Alex down for three weeks to gain the extra year of service time in 2027, six years from now, yes, the Twins can look that far ahead. Yes, if there's a reason to keep him down for three weeks, get him at bats, then call him up to the Twins on, say, April 22nd or April 23rd. Yeah, I think the Twins will go that route. But if Kirilov knocks the cover off the ball, has an unbelievable march, he will force their hand. And if he does that, I can see a scenario where Alex Kirilov is in the Twins opening day lineup at Miller Park. Is it still Miller Park? I think Miller Park is still the corporate name. I can't even keep track. Like, I know the Denver Nuggets Arena has a new corporate name. A bunch of arenas have changed corporate names in the last two years. I can't keep up, but I still think it's Miller Park. If it's not, sincere apologies. 
I've tried to get an update on Angelton Simmons and his work visa. Unfortunately, crickets. Now, Didi Gregorius, who's also from Curacao, just got to Philly's camp. And he signed or committed to his contract with the Phillies about the same time, give or take a few days, as Simmons did with the Twins. So hopefully that's good news on Simmons getting to Fort Myers sooner rather than later. I checked on Byron Buxton and his muscle gain, so he's up to 212 pounds. Shameless plug, check out my Twitter, KSTP for some video. Our photojournalist from Channel 5 was in Fort Myers when? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We have video. Channel 5, we have video of Byron Buxton. I put it on my Twitter. You can see for yourself how much just thicker he is, especially in his upper body. I'm told he just spent more time in his garage. He's got a really cool setup in his home garage in Georgia that, that he's put in a lot of work, put in a lot of work over the winter, just upping his workouts in his home garage gym. MLB Network will be at Twins Camp on Wednesday. They always produce excellent content so if you watch MLB Network be on the lookout you know later in the week maybe it's not you know like day of or maybe it is who knows maybe it's Wednesday Thursday but keep an eye out on MLB Network Twins spring training coverage all right I'm surprised I waited this long to get to the Wolves I hear that the Chris Finch contract is for two years plus one so there's an option on that third year it's in lockstep with Gerson Rosas's contract I heard from two coaches. I won't name them. They're not willing to go on the record. But I heard from two coaches on background that they are upset that Finch's agent negotiated while Saunders was still under contract. It's an unwritten no-no in the coaching fraternity. That's why we haven't seen something like this since 2009. Yes, we need to go back, what is that, 12 years to see an assistant coach from another team take over a different team's head coaching position. That was Lionel Hollins, yeah, way back in 09. Now, truth be told, none of that matters if Finch wins. If in a year or two, Chris Finch is a winner, heck, if he wins some games the rest of the way, if he proves to the fan base that he's a really good coach, who the heck cares how everything unfolded? But I'm fascinated by how everything unfolded last weekend. So the Wolves had interest in having Finch as associate coach in 2019, but then New Orleans blocked that opportunity. So that's how they eventually got to David Vanterpool as their associate head coach. Then Rosas wanted Saunders to hire Finch last offseason before he took the job with his good friend, one of his best friends, Nick Nurse, with the Raptors. The Wolves, specifically Gerson, had interest in having Finch join Saunders' staff, but there wasn't an opening Ryan wasn't going to fire anyone. Maybe that's just when things started to sour Rosas with Saunders, but I can't fault Ryan. Hard to fault Ryan. He wasn't going to fire anybody to bring in, and it was the worst kept secret in league circles. Like, Ryan knew that Gerson loved Chris Finch. So, like, if you're Ryan, why the heck would you fire somebody on your staff to bring in the guy that you know will eventually replace you? The timing still surprised many. Yes, you look at Ryan's record at the time, 7-24. and 24. You look at his record since being named head coach, many, many games below 500. It was actually pretty good, or at least acceptable as an interim coach, right? 17-25. and 25. But once he was named head coach, the wins and losses speak for themselves. So I think it was always inevitable, right, that this move was going to happen. But still the timing of everything surprised many, especially when Ryan got on that airplane to head to New York on Saturday. I continue to hear that the decision was made 
late Friday that after that Raptors game at Target Center, Wolves up five late. Toronto then goes on an 11 to nothing scoring run, wins by 11. That that was the last straw. That that was another one of those head scratching losses. You think about the loss in San Antonio, up 16, 10 minutes to go. You think about the loss earlier this season at home against Orlando, up double digits, what, like three minutes to go. Cole Anthony hits the buzzer beater, magic win at the buzzer. There were those head-scratching losses last year, the one against OKC, the one against Sacramento. So the head-scratching losses started to pile up. So I think the move was always inevitable, but the timing still, once Ryan got on that airplane Saturday, the thought was, okay, he'll coach this road trip at least, right? Maybe they make the move at the All-Star break. He'll coach the game in New York, the game in Milwaukee, the game in Chicago, the game in Washington. But the Wolves still decided to go ahead with the firing. They weren't in a position to have Chris Finch coach on Sunday because there were still some T's to cross, I's to dot with the contract. They decided they didn't want to make David Vanterpool or Brian Gates or Pablo Prigioni the interim coach for one game. That's, to me, what I would have done. Don't have Ryan get on that airplane when his wife is due any day with their second child. I mean, why just have him travel, coach a game that was meaningless for his future, that they knew Sunday morning, you know, Sunday afternoon before tip-off at the Garden, that they were going to fire Ryan. Like, why have Ryan even coach that game? But again, that's one of those that that it will be forgotten. If Chris Finch wins, and I've heard good things about Chris, that that people who have worked with him going back to Rio Grande, not quite far back as, as the British Basketball League, but Rio Grande in the G League, I guess then what, the D League, then those who have who have worked with him, you know, in Denver, in New Orleans, with the Raptors, with the Rockets, I hear like really good basketball IQ. As a tactician, he is rock solid. Like he knows the game. Schematically, he is going to out scheme other coaches. At 51, he's paid his dues. Like he's been ready to be an NBA head coach. The one concern that was brought up to me is how will he connect with players? In fact, on Thursday. The off day, you know, then they got into the practice gym today in Washington, D.C. But after the game Wednesday night in Chicago, Thursday off day, Finch spent time one-on-one with each individual player. So he is starting to build that rapport with each individual player. Remember, Ryan Saunders was the ultimate player's coach. So the players have that expectation. But, hey, being the ultimate player's coach didn't work. So it's a fine line because at times you're going to have to coach these players, including the superstar Carl Anthony Towns, really hard like that hasn't happened yet right it didn't happen under Ryan maybe it happened under Tibbs to some extent and Jimmy Butler but it's been a while since Cat has been coached really hard for this team to take another step any step in fact at some point Cat is going to have to be coached really hard so it's a fine line but Finch right now is working on building a rapport with each individual player that was the one concern that was brought up to me how will he do that does he have the personality to really mesh with players On the David Vanterpool fallout, so I'm told he makes $800,000 a year. That is a pretty penny for being an associate head coach. So he leaves Portland. It took good money for him to leave Portland, a job he really, really liked. So he leaves Portland. He comes here. He's associate head coach. Ryan McDonough, the former Suns general manager, was in town, you know, like that season. Ryan McDonough put Vanterpool through a mock interview. Like the Wolves were training David Vanterpool to be a head coach. They put him through these mock interviews. They taught him more and more about analytics. Like, they were grooming him to be a head coach. So I can see how he is pissed off that that the job finally opens. 
yet he wasn't even given the interim title. Not that he had to be given the head coaching title. Why not make David Vanterpool the interim coach? I'll just say this much. Rosas has the book on David Vanterpool now going back a couple years. My sense is that Gerson wasn't comfortable even giving him the title of interim coach. Yes, Chris Finch was always his guy, but I still don't think he was comfortable making Vanterpool the interim head coach. And again, he had the book. He knew everything. He knows where the bodies are buried. He knows everything about Vanterpool. He was not ready to give David that chance. But on diversity, the Wolves have a lot of issues, trust me, as many issues as any franchise in the NBA. But diversity is not one of them. Gerson Rosas, first Latin American president of operations in league history. Sachin Gupta, he's what, number two in command in the front office. Nearly got the Sacramento Kings job last offseason. He's of Indian descent. Dr. Rabi Sika, he's led their, their COVID protocols. You know, Rabi Sika has his fingerprints on, on medically a lot of things the Wolves do. He's of Indian descent. Kevin Burleson, Joseph Blair, David Vanterpool on the coaching staff. African-Americans. They have African-Americans also in the front office leading the analytics department. They have females in high up positions, not necessarily in basketball operations, but in the organization. The Wolves don't have an issue when it comes to diversity. So I hope it's not. Now, this is a Caucasian male talking, so I understand that. But I hope we're still not peddling that that this was race-related, why David Vanterpool doesn't have a chance to coach the Wolves. I will say this much. It has to be awkward, not only for David, the entire coaching staff, because after the season, like maybe one guy gets retained, but there are going to be changes where Chris Finch can bring in some of his own guys. On the Malik Beasley suspension, it's one thing after another with this franchise. I did not see 12 games coming. Certainly we saw, I think a lot of us saw, some sort of suspension coming. I thought it would be three to five games. Now the Beasley camp told me to go back and look at the Delonte West suspension. So that was 2010-10 games. That was involving weapons. It's just a reminder that the NBA doesn't F with guns. But I did not see 12 games coming. I guess... If you're the Wolves, you want to lose some games anyway, right, to maintain the best possible chance to land a top three pick so you don't have to give that pick to Golden State this year from the Russell Wiggins trade. So I guess it's not the worst thing that Beasley is out that long, but, man, it's just it's one hit after another. On Jarrett Culver, so he was good to play Tuesday, I'm told, but he wasn't activated. He was activated on Wednesday, did not play. He did not tweak anything pregame or anything along those lines. It was just a situation where Finch did not put him in. Hopefully, Jarrett Culver gets back in in Washington on Saturday, even if, you know, I think, you know, I've come to some firm conclusions about him. The Wolves still need to see more of him. Heck, showcase him. Maybe he plays well. Maybe he's got some trade value heading into the March 25th trade deadline. But my hope is that Culver gets back in action as soon as Saturday in Washington. The Wolves did not make Tyler Cook. They had him on the Iowa Wolves. They did not make him a 10-day offer before he signed with the Nets. Even if they had, I'm told his first choice was the Brooklyn Nets, but it doesn't matter. The Wolves did not offer him a 10-day contract. I've been asked about Glenn Robinson III. The Kings kicked him to the curb. As of last night, the Wolves have not touched base on signing Glenn Robinson III. We all await Glenn Taylor's reaction to Ryan's firing. That's another piece of the puzzle. You know, I figured Gerson had interest in firing Ryan. I wasn't convinced that Glenn would give Gerson 
the permission. Well, Glenn did. I've reached out to Glenn. I know others have at some point, I hope. I mean, he's pretty transparent. Like, he talks. Glenn has a history of being on this podcast a bunch. I'm hoping at some point I can talk to Glenn. But until then, I'm just I'm curious what Glenn's reaction is to approving the firing of Ryan Saunders. There's also the note from the New York Post that Glenn approached a private equity firm about buying a piece of the Wolves. But the NBA said that is a no-no. But Glenn Taylor continues to explore ways to, to recoup some money. Yeah, he'd like to remain majority owner, but if there's a way to sell some stakes, like in this instance to a private equity firm, you know, Glenn is going to explore that. Daniel E. Strauss, the former Grizzlies limited partner, by the way, remains interested in buying the Wolves and becoming the majority owner. All right, let's now get to some conversations. Let's begin with Cole Aldrich, former Wolves big man. I caught up with Cole on Monday via Zoom. He knows Ryan Saunders well. Ryan used to coach or coached at least for a weekend. Cole's AAU team when Cole was in high school at Bloomington Jefferson as a McDonald's All-American. Then Cole ends up going to Kansas, wins a national title, plays, what, eight years in the NBA, signed as a free agent by Tom Thibodeau and Scott Layden. Heck, Cole Aldrich is still on the Wolves' salary cap. But when he was in Houston, so he got traded to Houston along with James Harden, Chris Finch was on the Rockets' staff. So I figured, hey, Cole can offer some unique insight. Knows Chris Finch at least a little bit. Knows Ryan Saunders well. So we talked the firing of Ryan Saunders and the hiring of Chris Finch earlier this week. Here's my conversation with former Wolves big man, one of the best players in Minnesota basketball history, Cole Aldrich. Cole, always good to see you. I've already, we're talking here at what, 11 a.m. on Monday morning. I've already done a few radio interviews. I've shared my opinions. How about this? How about just, I'll put the quarter in the machine and let you go. Ryan Saunders, <laughs> somebody you know well, fired late last night. Your thoughts? Um, you know, I, I understand them letting him go. You know, I think the way that uh, kind of things have evolved since then you know, it's just disheartening. I, I think as, as a Minnesota fan of, of sports, you know, we want to see our teams do really, really well. And, you know, this year has been another struggling year for the Wolves. And, you know, on top of it now, I guess they're not in limbo anymore because they have their head coach now. So, you know, it's just, it, it's kind of disheartening how so many times over my career, you know, teams and, and coaches and GMs are, are talking about professionalism and, and, you know, you're not playing, so you need to do the extra stuff and do this. And, you know, the second that you don't, it, you know, becomes, you know, a narrative. And then, you know, to see this evolve with Ryan, you know, like I said, I understand uh, them letting him go, but, you know, the, the immediate hiring and, you know, kind of, backstories that that are starting to come out a little bit are you know just are kind of frustrating they're kind of just they're sad they're you know disheartening that that it happened that way I mean you're right I mean it's a cutthroat business I mean what took place late last night Cole is just another reminder that it's incredibly cutthroat right that that they when Ryan was hired May of 2019 you might remember that introductory news conference they talked about family, right? And culture, 
Kumbaya, we're holding hands. Everybody's happy here. That's a bunch of BS. You know, that, that the Wolves are like every other franchise. Forget just basketball, really. All of professional sports where there's a lot of ruthlessness. There's a lot of shadiness. There's a lot of crap that goes on that fans have no idea about. And last night is just another example. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's really sad. I, you know, I've known Ryan for a long, long time, and and you know, I'm sure that you know Ryan's not stupid. He saw the writing on the wall of having to to kind of climb Mount Everest this year and really you know do well to you know to continue his job. But I, you know, I think that just the way everything happened, it's just it's kind of uncalled for. It, it is. It's it's sad. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, being in that place and and you know getting let go and then all of a sudden knowing that oh this has been happening for months. You know, this is not a you know a, a whim type of thing where we let somebody go and now here David Vanterpool is the intern head coach and we're gonna let him kind of ride the season out and. You know, I, I mean, I even think with him, I, I would kind of feel a little some type of way if I were him too, because, you know, that's the succession of a, a, a head coach getting let go. You know, he gets his kind of chance to to finish out the season and then, you know, whatever happens in the summer happens in the summer. You Let know. me play devil's advocate on that though. <clears throat> So the buzz has been that Gerson, yeah, Gerson had a big hand in bringing Vanterpool here to Minnesota, but watching the defense struggle the way it has, that Gerson has soured a bit on David. So what if David gets elevated to interim head coach, then there's some level of success. Would Gerson have felt that his hands would have been tied, that David Vanterpool would have had to be the head coach, that there is something to be said about Right or wrong, Chris Finch has always been Gerson's guy. So why not just hire your guy when you have the chance to do so? Yeah, I mean, I understand that. I, you know, when I was in Houston, I got traded from Oklahoma to Houston with James Harden, and you know, Chris Chris was on staff, and and I think Chris is great. You know, it's nothing against Chris. It's you know, he he's really been in the mix for you know, talk for a few different head coaching jobs these kind of last few years and and people are really high on him and and I think he's gonna do great things. But you know, I, I think that just it's kind of another black guy after a black guy. And you know, I think to be honest, you know, I, I'm out. I'm you know, I'm not playing ball anymore. I'm not doing anything. I'm 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 a true fan and you know it's it's sad. It, you know it, it's frustrating to me because I want to see them do well and, and knowing kind of how this year through the pandemic and, you know, tons of protocols and short, you know, preseason and, you know, you're, you're jumping into everything and you don't have time to do meetings, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I, I, I kind of am a, a little saddened by, you know, that process knowing that sure it is his guy and, you know, when Ryan got hired, everybody kind of knew that it was, it was a, in a sense, a 30-day trial. And, you know, now to see it happen the way it did, you know, it, it's frustrating to me. But, you know, that unfortunately doesn't surprise me. 
No, I mean, nothing truly surprises me anymore in, in professional sports. The beauty, Cole, is you're a fan, but you have opinions. You have educated opinions. So that's the beauty of why you and I have done some podcasts together. Hopefully we'll do another soon when, when you're comfortable coming back over here to Hubbard Broadcasting. It's the beauty of being able to do a conversation like this over Zoom. We both know Ryan really well. You know him better than I do, but we both have a personal connection to Ryan. I'm positive He'll be okay in the long run. I just think having him hop on that airplane on Saturday, like Cole, I've gathered so far today that they knew they wanted to fire him after the Friday loss to Toronto. So the Raptors go on an 11 to nothing run to finish that game. Friday was another debacle of a loss. You know, they knew then. So why not fire Ryan late Friday night or Saturday morning? Make even Brian Gates the interim coach. Who cares? Make whoever the interim coach you know, for, for the New York game until you could wrap up the Finch deal. Because my understanding is the reason they didn't do this Saturday morning or Friday night, they were still crossing all the T's, dotting all the I's, going through the rigmarole of getting approval from, from the Raptors, you know, Masai Ujari and, and Bobby Mm -hmm. Webster and those guys, Nick nurse. So it was a process to hire Chris, but like, just make whomever the, the interim coach don't have Ryan get on that airplane on Saturday as his wife. Oh, by the way, is due any day. Like mm-hmm. to me, that was the slap in the face that, that you knew Friday night you wanted to fire him, yet you let him get on that airplane and coach the game last night. Yeah. I mean, I think that's it. It really it, it takes all the personality out of everything. You know, you, you like you said, you, you know, you want to create a family and you want to bring people in as free agents and, you know, you, you want to build this organization up. But, you know, players talk, coaches talk, you know, everybody in the business, you know, know some sort of truth to the story and and everybody I, I believe today kind of woke up with a little bit of a sour taste knowing that you know there was so much far better ways of handling it the way that they did but you know I think that you kind of look over the years and years and see how things have handled throughout the organization maybe it's not a surprise no I mean I remember <laughs> the way they fired Sam Mitchell over the phone Heck, Scott Layden being in the office when they fired Tom Thibodeau. I mean, that was weird. Even though Ethan Casson's the one who delivered the news, Scott was still standing there. Like, that didn't make any sense to me. So, yeah, they've done they've done some weird things, even in recent memory, let alone going back to the KG years and, and before then. But on the surface, just the overall idea of firing Ryan, does that make sense? The how? Yes. I think many of us are in agreement how they did it was was ruthless but the overall idea of firing ryan 7 and 24 28th ranked offense does that part some of these head scratching losses the way they've lost does that part of it at least make some sense to you yeah i mean i i understand why they let him go you know at the end of the day if, if you don't win i mean look at brett brown when he was in philly think about all the years that like that's unheard of to be able to go through that process for I mean, damn near a half a decade or close to a decade and, and know that like you have an ultimate job security in a sense, that doesn't happen. You know, so knowing that, you know, they're in the bottom third for every category in in the league, it was an it was inevitable. You know, they've they've lost some really hard games. They've lost games that they probably should have really won and they probably would have should have won by double digits. I mean, being up like 11 with 
three, four minutes ago and finding a way to lose, you know, sure, it is your players' duty to make sure that doesn't happen. But, you know, you are the head coach and it does fall on your shoulders. And, you know, that is part of the job. How much do you think, Cole, that Ryan was set up to fail, that this is the youngest roster in the league? The roster has holes. I mean, we can debate how many holes, but my opinion, they don't have enough two-way guys. They don't have enough tough guys. They don't have enough smart guys. Now, maybe the smarts come with, with some experience, but like this roster, I think, was set up for Ryan to struggle. He only coached Russell with Cat with Edwards for five games total, right? Or maybe it was even four because one game Cat and Russell was last year. Coincidentally, <laughs> it was a game in Toronto last season. So this season, those three together, I guess it would only be four games. So, like, was it even fair? Did Ryan get really a fair shake? I mean, it, that that's hard to say because – those are the, the cards that he was dealt with and, and he kind of knew going in it and taking that job is, I mean, we all saw the writing on the wall, you know, Glenn came out and said, this is your head coach. And then Gerson comes in and Gerson wants to hire his own people. And, you know, he had the ability to hire, you know, the assistant coaches and some other people, but, you know, the head coach is something that if you're the GM or the president of, of a team, you know, you want to have that person be your person. And I think going through the interviews, you know, it was kind of like, well, here's your coach. And then, well, wait, 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 let's kind of read back to that. Let's go through this process. Let's interview a handful of people. And, and, and Chris was one of those people. And then ultimately come to the decision, okay, well, you know, Ryan is, is the coach that kind of felt unfair too at the very beginning. It was like, you know, water and oil trying to mix where it just wasn't going to happen. Tell us more about Chris Finch. So you mentioned you were in Houston. He was an assistant coach. He was on the staff. So like, what else should we know about Chris Finch? Man, it's been so long since, <laughs> since I was in Houston, <laughs> at least it feels so long. It's probably been almost a decade, but you know, I, I think the big thing is, is that, you know, he, he's been in, you know, a lot of conversations these last few years of, of getting head coaching jobs. I think uh, New Orleans was, was, a, was a real recent one. Um, you know, he, he's been around the league a long time. You know, he's, he's been that kind of, you know, leading role as, as an assistant and, and sure it's different being a head coach, but, you know, he's going to have time. I, I don't know what his contract contract structure is of how many years he has but you know as a fan I kind of look at it and think well all right here we go here's another few more years until we really do something and you know I, I think that you know as, as a fan base everybody wants the Wolves to do well because that means the city does well and and, you know, the same thing with the Vikings and the Wild and the Twins and the Lynx you know everybody loves to to have that you know it's been 20 years of kind of getting drugged through the mud and you know now you add on top of you know glenn's potential sale of of the team you know i don't know where that is it, you know in in talks but you know that's another thing that hopefully may kind of bring new light 
It would. I mean, I think there's a lot of people rooting for that. Maybe it would have made sense for Glenn to sell, you know, already and let the new owner come in and then make a decision, not only on Ryan, but also on Gerson. But like no denying now, Cole, the spotlight is squarely on Gerson. Like all <laughs> eyes are on Gerson. He must know at this point the clock is ticking. Yeah. I mean, you you kind of you probably understand that as as a GM of knowing, okay, well. This is second year of doing this, and you know I'm starting to kind of figure out my roster a little bit. We still have draft picks, you know. If if they continue on the on the stretch that they are, you know they're going to be another high lottery pick, and you know have another really talented player come in. But you know I think that if you look at the league as a whole, you, you have to have veteran guys, you know unless it's like the team I was on in Oklahoma city, where you have three MVPs, you know, realistically, you know, I, I don't know how you can win when you don't have some sort of, you know, veteran status to your team. Don't forget. So they owe their first round pick to the warriors from the Wiggins Russell trade. It's top three protected, but like, even if they finish with the worst record in the league, they will only Cole have a 40% chance to land in the top three, which means you can do the math on that, right? 60% chance that the Warriors are going to get their pick. So that's what I'm yeah. saying. Like Gerson can't be off the hook here. Like the Russell Wiggins trade has not worked out. The Rubio trade really hasn't worked out. Gave up a draft pick for Ed Davis. Ed Davis can't play. So why did you give up the draft pick for Ed Davis when New York was going to buy him out anyway? You could have signed him as a free agent. So they gave away a draft pick there. Moving up for Jarrett Culver, that's been a swing and miss. Now he's done some good things, right? I think a lot of us like Anthony Edwards, although LaMelo Ball is, is the favorite for rookie of the year. So did he miss on LaMelo? Getting McDaniels at pick 28, that looks like a win. Like he's got legit two-way totally. potential. I think a lot of us really like him. Nas Reed, that was that was a good get. Undrafted <laughs> free agent. Multiple years left on a, on a non-guaranteed contract. I like Jalen Noel. I think he's a rotation guy. Jordan McLaughlin on a two-way. But I'm just saying, when evaluating Gerson, there are some swings and misses there. Yeah. It, you know, it, it, it is still early for kind of a, a whole critique of everything that he's done. But, you know, I, I do think that early on, you know, there are some questions. You know, how – how do you build this roster? Of course, you're not going to go from, you know, uh, a tough season last year to going through the pandemic and a short draft. And you have like three weeks until the season starts after the draft and, and all that. But, you know, there's teams that have figured it out and, it, and it's not easy, but, you know, you, you need to find a way to have your main guys play defense, play together be on the same page you know everybody I think was struggling with Jimmy when he was here because you know he, he's a little rough he is rough around the edges you know he is you know he's not a not a shy person to, to tell you his opinion but look at it they won you know we won we were in the playoffs sure you know we had to beat Denver at the very last minute in overtime but like we were there and then that falls apart because, you know, the hierarchy just didn't work out. 
And that's kind of disheartening. You go from really bad for so many years to making to the playoffs and thinking, okay, you know what, we're going to, we're going to turn that corner. And then Tibbs doesn't trade Jimmy ends up basically getting, basically getting, you know, dollar for a dime on it, on the deal. And now here you are with other stuff and, you know, looking at it as a long-term thing, you're, you know, unless you find a way to make up ground with either trading one of your three main players, you know, it's going to be hard for the next few years. Yeah. I mean, the mistakes were either not finding a way to give Jimmy the five-year max, getting underneath the luxury tax, finding a path to that or trading Jimmy earlier, but yeah, waiting as long as Tibbs did. You're right. I mean, he got back 20 cents on the dollar. Like that was not a great trade for, for a superstar. Speaking of superstars, Carl Anthony Towns, I don't know. We can debate whether he's a superstar or not, but I think he's a top five center. So if you're top five at your position, you're at least in the conversation, former all NBA guy, somebody, you know, you know, maybe even pretty darn well. How, how do you think cat is taking the news that Ryan has been fired? You know, I'm not really sure. Um, you know, I think in, in Carl's career so far, he's had, what, four different coaches? Maybe even five? Um, well, this will be, so Sam, so Flip died after he drafted Cat, but Flip technically never coached Cat, right? So Sam Mitchell, yeah. Tom Thibodeau, Ryan Saunders, and now Chris Finch will be, what, his fourth head coach? So his fourth in six years. You know, that that's hard because – you know, you, you want, you want somebody to be consistent, you know, going from one thing to another, to another Sure, you know, sure it's basketball, but you know, you're, you're switching things up. And, and I feel like probably over the last few years, you know, he's sitting there thinking, you know, we've tried this, that hasn't worked. Then we tried this and that hasn't worked. And then we try also tried this. Well, that hasn't worked. And now at what point does he get tired of it and say, I need to get out, you know, and, and do I think that Carl is, is a leader to bring a team to the finals? No, I, I don't think so, but that doesn't matter. You look at the Warriors and, you know, Steph Curry and Andre Udala was that guy, you know, he was that guy. He was kind of the, the guy that kept everything together. So it doesn't need to be your star player, but everybody needs to be on the same page and, and it just doesn't, feel like anybody's even on the same chapter i'll leave you with this are you still on the wolf salary cap i am one more year all right so can we like can we somehow blame you in this equation that (laughs) the wolves didn't have enough flexibility to add some free agent or make some move because your salary is still holding down the cap you know what they could have they could have signed me and they could have gotten rid of me the next year but they decided to let me go and, and stretch my deal out. And there you go. Oh, I love it. Oh, it's fantastic. And I still love the fact that you're on the salary cap. Like that's the greatest thing ever. It's so cool. Just, just enjoying life right now. You know, it's, it's, it's been a blessing to, to see things from afar and, and, and not have to track through the mud. Are you done completely? Like if the phone rang, if some team in Europe needed a big man for the stretch run here, like would you answer the phone? 
mean, sure, of course I'd answer the phone, but uh, you know, I ride my bike. I'm not, uh, I, I haven't touched a basketball in probably a year. And, you know, sure, I could get in shape, but, you know, for me, the calling of my career was uh, when I was in China, I sprained my MCL around Christmas time and <clears throat> rehabbed and then found my wife was pregnant and she was due in January and decided that, you know, going overseas somewhere just, it, it wasn't for us. And, you know, then my son was born in January and then few months later, the pandemic hit and it was just kind of like, you know what, the, you know, it, it's been a, it's been a hell of a ride. I've had a lot of fun. I had a lot of great memories, created a lot of friendships, but you know, I'm, I'm happy with saying that I'm done and you know, I, I really enjoyed my time. And we really enjoy the conversations with you, Cole. Let's do it more. We did it for a while pre pandemic, but you know, when, when things ease up here, when, when more people are vaccinated, let's get you back here in studio and we'll do, we'll do what we're doing now, but A, in person and B, for a longer period. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. One of my favorite people, and I still get a kick out of the fact that he's on the Wolves salary cap, it is Cole Aldrich. All right, let's continue the basketball dialogue. I caught up earlier this week with New links guard, Ariel Powers. Ariel, this was your first experience in, in free agency. As, as you reflect upon your first experience in free agency, I guess, what, what stands out? Um, what stands out to me is I was very um, confused on where I wanted to go, to be honest, right? But then through talks with Coach Reeve and the coaching staff and everything they're doing over there, I felt more comfortable. You know, that's what made me feel like, okay, this is the right place to go. On the confusion, I saw a quote from from Washington coach Mike Tebow where mm -hmm. where he said he felt like that that you were stringing them out. Mm -hmm. Was that part of the confusion? Is that what he was alluding to? You know, um, you know, in every relationship, you know, you got to take it one one step at a time, right? And free agency for me it was very new. Also, I didn't have all the information that I feel like I needed to make the, the most educated decision. So unfortunately, he felt like that. But um, I feel bad that he did because I wasn't trying to string him along at all, right? I was just trying to make the best decision for my future. You have some long-term security. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a three-year contract. How important was that long-term security? Extremely um, important, you know, and everything I do. And that was a part of the piece of, you know, why I want to go there. Uh, longevity of it all. Thinking of who will be the next players to play, maybe for the Mystics or maybe for the Lynx. That all played a part. And I think as a player and anyone that's watching this, you have to start thinking longevity when you're thinking about making a big decision for your career. Do you feel like you're still hitting your peak that, that you're now just entering the prime of your career? Certainly you have a lot of experience. Like we remember you here from, from your days in the Big Ten. But do you feel yeah. like at what, 27, that, that you're still hitting your peak? Yeah, I actually, I do, to believe it or not. The reason why, you know, I've had a few hiccups during my career with injuries. But, you know, I came into my own. I think that year we won the championship, you kind of saw a glimpse of what I could do. Uh, last year, the bubble situation was kind of up and down for everyone. And now this year, I think we'll all together as a league, we'll have it together. And for me specifically, I'm ready to show everybody what Ariel Powers is really all about. What are you all about? I mean, we can watch the YouTube clips, but but like what's what's the scouting report on you say? 
Oh, I think the scout part on me says uh, that I'm dynamic, right? It's hard to guard someone that can – my first thing is get into the bucket, right, get into the rack. But then I started extending my game where now I'm shooting really good mid-range. That started in the Big Ten. But then when I got to WBA, I really started shooting consistently threes. I think maybe two years ago, last year was good too. And then this year I, I plan to keep that going. So it's hard to guard someone that can kind of do a little bit of everything. Speaking of guarding, what, what kind of defender are you? I think I'm a I think I'm a good defender. You know, I think um I'm a girl that that if you do get hit on a pick, you're okay with me switching because I'm a bigger guard that can kind of stand some of those fours up, at least stand a five up enough for someone to switch out. Um, but one on one defense, I think I do pretty well at. You talked about the the championship you won in Washington. You've mm-hmm. won at a very high level with with Team USA. How important is it to have that championship pedigree? It's it's very important. You know, what I didn't realize until I did get onto the Mystics team was to have a championship team is just not about skill, right? It's not. It's just not about skill. You have to have that, of course, but you have to have a good culture. You have to have teammates that care for one another and they don't care about who gets to shine. They need to pass the ball and, and and that pass is just as good as that score. So for me, that's what I learned, you know, with the Mystics. And I learned that championship pedigree. What 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 does that entail? What kind of degree, you know, what kind of ingredients does that entail? And that's um, that's what I learned. And then your conversations with Coach Reeve, I mean, mm-hmm. just a sense that that, you know, with, with all the changes here in Minnesota, but you know her championship pedigree, that collectively you guys can get back to that level. I think so. And it, I'm excited to bring another championship to the Midwest. Uh, Coach Reeves is a beast, right? And now I feel like we have a good amount of pieces on the floor that with her, co- with her coaching style, I feel like we can win a championship this year. What was it like? So I, I guess like circle back two months ago, you're having dialogue with your agent, uh-huh. you're sizing up free agency. Like two months ago, how much was Minnesota on your radar? And how much did things change once Coach Reeve reached out to you? You know what's crazy? I'm going to be completely honest with you. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do at all, even talking with my agent. Um, It wasn't until... I was, you know, the barrier broke where it's that certain day where people can start contacting you and all these cultures start contacting me and some just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. Not not only that, um, when I looked at who they're going to have next for the, this season, I was like, ah, I don't really fit in. I don't feel like I fit in. And for her, not only did I feel like I fit in with the players, talking to her, she kind of reminded me of my old college coach, Coach Merchant. Me and her have a really great relationship to where I can call her. I still call her. I called her the other day when uh, Tori on the team hit a game winner. You know, when they lost to Michigan, I called her. So we have that close of a relationship, and I felt that kind of connection with Coach Reeve. Does it matter? Does it does it mean more to play for a female versus a male? You know what? My best friend just asked me that. Um, it is crazy because not a lot of females in this uh, in the league coaching right now. But I I honestly can't answer that because I'm still trying to figure out that that answer for myself. To be honest, um, maybe call me in about a year and ask me the question again, and I'll give you a, a straight up. Cause I actually asked myself that about two weeks ago and I couldn't, I couldn't get the answer. 
What will the next handful of weeks and months look like until you get here? Or will you get here to Minnesota soon and, and begin some off-season training? Yeah, of course, trying to get some off-season training. Like, um, you have to think, COVID is serious still. So some gyms are up and down. You never know. So right now, I'm just trying to stay consistent in my workouts um, and do as much as I can because I want to be ready for this season. And also doing film. You know, people don't realize film is really critical. So watching film and um, getting uh, accustomed to the, the plays is a new team. Expound on that. I mean, what are you looking at when, when you're breaking down film? What are some particulars that, that you're just keyed in on? Okay, so when I was an opponent and, and, and playing against the, the Lynx, they would run this play where the guard likes to post up. Um, for me, defensively, you always had to be aware because you couldn't really tell when it was going to be like a horns or a post-up situation. For that, now I'm on the opposite end, right? And now I can be that big guard posting up. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm definitely looking forward to that. And also playing with Seal. Seal's been um, – I kind of admire her, to be honest. I can't wait to play with a big girl that can just catch everything you throw at her, man. And she's just so dominant. You know, when you think of the, the centers in the league – it's a few that like to pop, pick and pop, and she's so dominant that I, I cannot wait to explore that. I mean, I imagine, I mean, just playing off Sill, a former mm -hmm. MVP, we know mm -hmm. how good she is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that has to help your game immensely. Yeah, you got to think. So if we're in a pick and roll situation and she ends up hitting them with a good pick, that big girl that's guarding her doesn't really want to come out to me because Seal is so dominant, right? Now, if the big girl does come out to me, now we have a mismatch situation, right? Where maybe I can dump it down low to Seal, or maybe that guard in the corner tries to help Seal, and now it's an easy three. And now we have Kayla McBride, Kyler can hit the three. It's just like, who do you guard? How do you how do you guard us? <laughs> well, speaking of Kayla, just how excited are you to be playing alongside her? Extremely excited. Uh the Lynx posted a video on Twitter, right? And like, she had some fast break threes that was just phenomenal. And I was like, I can't wait to like go crazy and get hype for my teammate. I'm excited to play against her. Also, I think um, battling against her, like after practice and shooting, I think she'll make me become a better shooter. I'm very competitive. So I'm definitely looking forward to those shooting matches with her for sure. Ariel, the way you were breaking down what you gleaned from, from watching film, you, you mm -hmm. sound like a future coach, but <laughs> I've read about your your video game work mm -hmm. right now. Like, is, is the video games your future, or could you see yourself getting into coaching one day? You know what? It, it was a struggle at one point. I'm like, what do I want to do? You know, I went to I went to Michigan State for communications, thought about doing broadcasting after basketball, uh, always been into video games. It wasn't until 2019 that people really saw that explode because I got on Twitch. So it was more visible. Um, but I've always been into video games. So anything with video games I'm into. Uh, instead of a broadcaster, you have something called a shoutcaster or a host. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of that, whether it's a host or a shoutcaster or, you know, being on panels. So I just I don't know. For me, I want to stay in the ecosystem of esports because it's just really, really fun. Not saying basketball isn't, but it's just super different. And it's something that I really enjoy all the time. And your Team Liquid, I see the logo behind you there. Yeah. Team Liquid? <laughs> yep, yep. So uh, this is the Team Liquid chair, but um, actually I just signed with them, I think it was this year in January, and I'm on. I'm the head of the chair of the Diversity and Inclusion Task Force. So you ask, what is that, right? And in esports, it's looked at as male-dominated, and it's not. 
female gamers make up 48% of gamers. And you wouldn't think that because you look at it and it's like, it's all men, right? And it's not. So for me, and what I'm doing with Team Liquid is how do we show this different perspective? How do we show that it's diverse, right? How do we include others into this ecosystem? So you do that by doing initiatives and allowing them to be more invisible, just like I did with my Powers Up 2K uh, All-Females Tournament. You allow them to be more visible and just say, hey, we're here too. So doing a lot of stuff with them. And uh, also I'm a streamer for them as well. So you play 2K. What other games do you play? I'm obsessed right now with Call of Duty. <laughs> I play Call of Duty uh, Warzone and I play Apex. But Call of Duty Warzone, I haven't been grinding that right now. <laughs> How aware are you of, of the Timberwolves E-team? Like, have you thought about maybe trying to get involved with, with what's taking place here? Oh, of course, right? Their 2K League is uh, 2K League is like my second home, I would say. And their um, their team is phenomenal. They have the MVP, Bear the Beast, on there. And I've, uh, I've talked to him through Twitter before, so I kind of have like a little bit of knowledge about him. But other than that, like, I am – fully involved with 2k especially because you know they had their first female uh last year no female this year so i've been doing a lot of like initiatives helping with that too i'll leave you with this area so what's what's a normal day look like for you like i know today Ooh. you're doing a few <laughs> interviews but like tomorrow do you wake up get a little workout in but then it's a lot of video games or like what's what's a normal day look like you know i'll take you through kind of a normal week uh to start off, I'll take you through tomorrow. Tomorrow is a little bit easier day for me, but I do have, um, I'm doing something with Team Liquid in the DNI space. So I'll have, um, I'm doing an IG live for, so HBCUs just started their, like this Madden League, which is super phenomenal. It's very new, but we want to make sure they're visible too, especially when something is super new with the legacy team I'm with, Team Liquid, they have eyes everywhere everywhere in the world, right? So I'm doing a, a IG Live, I think that's at three. Um, I'm working on something else at 4.30. I can't tell you yet, but it's super exciting. It has to do with HyperX and it's super exciting. So I have another meeting there. Um, and then lately, believe it or not, I've been so busy, more busy than basketball, right? Cause you have practice at like nine, you're done around 12 and then you have the whole day to yourself. But for me, I have to do other meetings and get other people involved and make sure my schedule is right. It's really, it's really uh, made me grow up a little quicker, but um, it's been fun. A lot of meetings and interviews so far. That's fantastic. Ariel, thank you for doing this. Of course. This was fun. Of course. And I'll certainly stay in touch. Wishing you all the best. Thank you so much. Good player, good personality added to the links. Ariel Powers, three-year deal. For Ariel, let's wrap up the podcast with my conversation from earlier today with one of the best gymnasts in University of Minnesota history. It is Gopher senior Lexi Ramler. So Lexi and the Gophers are in a meet, actually, as I'm recording this in Maryland last weekend. They tied or maybe it was just singular, but the second best score in program history like Lexi is a star gymnast. She is top 10 in the country in four events. So one of the best, forget, gymnasts in Gophers history, which is certainly noteworthy. She right now is one of the best gymnasts in the country. Here is my conversation from earlier today with Gopher Lexi Ramler. By the way, she went to Winona High School, so she's one of us. 
Lexi, is there such a thing as, as momentum in gymnastics, mojo? Because I imagine if there is, coming off last weekend, and not only heading into today, but the rest of this season, I would think you and the rest of the team has unbelievable momentum. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, each, each meet, you know, we're just going to it and building our confidence, building our experience, building our learning lessons. So I definitely think that there is something to Mojo, um, and we're definitely building off of it. When I say that last week you guys had the second highest score in program history, just what's, what's your instant reaction? As a team, like, it was, it's just so cool. Like, it's so cool to make history, to do it with your team, with these teammates. Uh, and so, again, it just boosts our confidence moving forward, and we're excited to continue. I mean, is it realistic to think – I mean, you guys are ranked in the top ten, so is it realistic to think that you guys can, can think about winning a national championship? You know, I think each year we definitely go to try to make nationals. That's been our goal every, every year that I've been here. Um, and so I think this year there's a huge potential to go to nationals. And I think that's what the team is so excited about is that we see our potential. We see ourselves improving and getting better. And that really just builds our confidence, builds our energy for the rest of the season. How are you on an individual level? How are you getting better? I mean, heck, right back to back region two gymnast of the year. So, I mean, you're as good as it gets already, Lexi, but how are you improving? I, in gymnastics, you can always improve. You can always make something bigger, make it better, make it you know more unique, make it yourself. Like there's always that's why I love the sport so much is because you, there's never like an end to it. Um, and so for me, like I'm building just like confidence with every single knee and it's good reminders here and there. You know, I have like little bobbles, little stuff. And again, like you have every single meet you go into you have to continue to perform. So it's the consistency um, and it's really just, you know, taking in the moment and everything. So I'm still building. I'm still building my confidence as well. You're so good in every event. Is there one event that sticks out above the rest for you? You know, I love competing bars. I say that's my most fun to compete. I feel super confident in that event. Um, Bean has also been something <laughs> that I enjoy competing. Um, it's definitely a challenge for me, but I think for every athlete, um, you know, it's fun to have that challenge and it's fun to conquer it as well. So I'd say Beam and Byers for sure. I mean, you had the perfect 10s, right? So, I mean, <laughs> is it just natural with, with the perfect 10s to, to, you know, gravitate toward that direction? Yeah, it can be <laughs> for sure. Where are things at, Lexi? So, so if you want to, I mean, you're a senior, but, but you can be back next year. Have you thought about that, coming back for another year of eligibility? I definitely thought about it, yes. Um, I haven't decided anything, but it's pretty hard to say no to a sport that you absolutely love for one more year. I've been doing this sport for 17 years, um, and I love it. So nothing official yet, but we'll see. How tight is the team? I mean, I know you're part of, of the leadership group. Just how, how's the chemistry? Chemistry is really good this year. I think this year is definitely a tricky year because the freshmen came in and we weren't able to quite, you know, spend all the time that we would typically, you know, we weren't here for the summer. Um, and so it was definitely an interesting experience during the summer and trying to get everybody, everybody on board and get the freshmen on board um, and just, you know, keep that team chemistry and united and um, build those connections. But I think, you know, we have incredible teammates this year, genuine, kind people. Um, and so this year, our team chemistry is definitely very good. What kind of leader are you? Are you, are you a vocal leader or more lead by example? 
Um, I would say I'm definitely more of a lead by example, but I have been definitely working on being a vocal leader um, over my years here at the U. How much pride do you take just, you know, growing up, you know, being here from Minnesota? And, and certainly women's gymnastics has, has been solid. I mean, heck, there's, there's a storied history there, but, but just continuing that legacy and being a Minnesota girl. It's one of my favorite things. Um, I grew up in Minnesota. I love Minnesota. I grew up going to the meets and seeing them. Uh, and so to be able to perform and compete for the Gophers, um, I take so much pride and honor in it. And I love representing Minnesota at every single meet that I compete at. The way last year ended with the pandemic, the season being cut short, how does that motivate you? How does that motivate the team? I think definitely it was just an eye opener that stuff can be taken away just like that. Um, and so definitely going into this year, just being grateful for every practice that we get to be at, every competition that we get to be at, every travel meet that we get to travel as a team and be together as a team. Um, so I think it definitely has brought in a lot of gratitude for each one of us um, and just really taking in the moment. What's that one-two punch like with, with Loper? I mean, I know how close you guys are, but, but she's really good. I mean, you know, I could easily talk to her just like I'm talking to you as one of the team leaders. I mean, what's that one-two punch like? She's my best friend. <laughs> I, uh, we do everything together. Um, we push each other in the gym and we really just, we build off of each other. And it's just so much fun going to the meets with her, traveling with her and just being together. Um, and I think both of us really thrive off of that and it just makes it sweeter. <laughs> and does it even mean more Lexi during the pandemic? I mean, I imagine it's not like you're interacting with a ton of students on, on campus, probably a lot of your friends, but but with the team, that, it, that it's easier to be with the team and, and specifically Loper, that, that it means even more during the pandemic? It does, yeah. I think all of us are, you know, we really want to see our families and, you know, connect with classmates and stuff like that. But that's just not the reality this year. So still being able to be with the team and feel that community and that family is super important, especially during this time. Um, and so I think it's definitely another thing that we're just really grateful for this year. How has Coach Hanson, how has she evolved? I mean, think about, you know, going back to your freshman year to now, what's that relationship been like building that relationship with Coach? Um, Jenny has definitely always been super personal and checking in on us, making sure that we're okay. Um, and I think it's just developed this year. And this year has been a lot of curveballs. <laughs> so I am pretty impressed on how everything has panned out and how everything has, has handled. I think there's a learning lessons for us athletes, coaches, and staff. Um, overall, but I think still as a team, we still have that chemistry. We still have that unity and we're working through it. I hit you with one last one, Lexi. I mean, do you have an opinion on, on the men's team? Presumably you have some friends on that team and, and just everything that they're dealing with, with, with this last season. I think it's hard. Um, you know, gymnastics, I'm so close to the sport of gymnastics and I know they are too. And that has been a huge tradition and history. There's so much history behind that sport and that program here at the U. Um, so it is definitely sad to see it go. Um, you know, we always hope that it, <laughs> that it can come back. Um, we, you know, gymnastics, you know, both men's and women's gymnastics are pretty close as a team as well. So um, it, it, it affects all athletes. I think in all sports that are getting cut, um, it affects all of us athletes. And this year, especially, we just want to support each other and, just make the most of this year. I mean, there's no positive with, with a program being cut, but, but there has been more of a spotlight put on just gymnastics as a whole. Is that something you can take from, from everything that's going on? 
Yeah, I think gymnastics is a very amazing sport. It's a super cool sport and I absolutely love it. Um, and so being able to bring some spotlight into the history behind it, I think is super important, super cool. Um, and just to expose more people to the sport of gymnastics. Lexi, thank you. Kick some serious butt today. Kick some serious butt the rest of the year. We'll be tracking your happenings, okay? Thank you so much. One of the best athletes on campus, one of the best gymnasts in Gophers history, Lexi Ramler, native of St. Michael, went to high school in Winona. All right, we are done on this Friday late afternoon, the 26th of February. Always appreciate you listening. This has been Scoop Podcast episode 336. Stay safe. Stay sane.